All right, church family, welcome to another online service opportunity to slow down from our week a little bit and put our eyes and focus on Jesus Christ through worship. So I encourage you to join in to this time right now. You go before 
Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good nights. Whenever you're watching this, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in a time of worship. Uh, we as a staff, we just hope and pray that uh, this time together with us is just a blessing uh, for you uh, throughout the week. Well, uh, as you know, we love praying for you. Man, there is a lot going on uh, overall and just in our week and day to day. And, and, and prayer is something that uh, should not be taken for granted. And we love to pray for you. We as a staff, we find it a privilege and honor to be able to pray for you. So you can send your prayer requests, your confidential prayer requests to 97,000. 97,000, you can send those in anytime you would want. And just know uh, we do take those serious and we do pray for you. Well, there is a lot happening at Agora. We have things going on, children, students, adults, tons of things. And uh, we would love for you, if you are interested in finding out more information about what is happening, uh, to, go our, to go to our website at agorabible.org, and you can find endless information. And while you're on there, uh, you'll see a Give tab. Uh, that's where you can make a donation. And as you know, uh, our ministries are only possible through your generous financial support. And we would be so grateful if you would just uh, consider, uh, prayerfully consider uh, to make a donation. Uh, we would so appreciate that. Well, before we spend a few moments in God's Word together, uh, let me pray before we get to it. Well, Father, we thank you so much for uh, this church and for the ministries that we're able to do. And uh, we just thank you so much for the people that are tuning in, that are listening uh, right now, uh, that are sending out their prayer requests, uh, that are sitting down on the couches ready to dig into your word, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that the distractions will leave, that the outside voices will uh, be cleared, and that uh, we can hear your spirit, Lord, that you will speak to us and exactly what you want us to hear uh, for today, Lord. Uh, we thank you so much uh, for who you are, for your faithfulness, and uh, we love you so, so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and uh, thank you, Chris. Always good to be together and getting into God's Word. As you know, we're just gradually working our way through the book of Hebrews, and we're in Hebrews chapter 11, picking up in verse 20 this week. And I've titled this Departing Words. Now, when I first glanced at that, I'm like, oh, well, that makes it sound like I'm leaving somewhere. But when I say departing words, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our tendency for our, our ears to perk up and for us to lean in a bit Anytime someone's getting close to the end of their life and having some sort of wisdom to share with others. You think about that, especially if it's somebody that you care about or somebody that you respect, you're really anxious to hear what do they have to say because so much of what culminates in someone's life often comes out in the last hours of their life. I was reading this week about a commentator uh, Bible commentator. His name's Matthew, Matthew Henry. If you've spent any amount of time in study of God's Word, I mean, that's a very well-known uh, person that really devoted his life to unpacking Scripture and making sure it was clear and understandable for people to uh, work through. It's interesting to hear uh, what he is known for saying at the end of his life. He said, you, he's talking to a close friend of her, his before passing. He said, you have been used to take notice of the sayings of a dying man. This is mine, that a life spent in the service of God and communion with him is the most pleasant life that anyone can live in this world. Love that as a conclusion. He's just like, man, when you consider life, man, the best route for you to take is in communion and in service with our Lord. Probably one of my personal favorites as far as last words go. I've actually shared this story before, but it's so noteworthy. It's worth sharing again. Our office manager, Stephanie Aite, uh, her grandmother-in-law, so her husband John's mom, was just a wonderful Christian woman. Her name's Gloria and uh, lived a, a full life and had an opportunity at a church service in Ghana to have a chance to speak to the young ladies of the group. And she went up on stage with the mic and just talking to them, sharing with them her, her heart for seeing them make an impact on others' lives. And she talked a bit about how she had run her race and she had said, hey, I'm, I'm now passing the baton on to you guys 
for you to make an impact in the people's lives that you come across. Really a powerful speech from what I understand. And after she went back down to sit down after speaking, the people had noticed that, man, is she, she dozed off to sleep. Later to find out, she didn't doze off to sleep. She actually, her life came to an end after sitting down and giving that charge for these young ladies. Can you imagine the, the ultimate mic drop, if you will, for departing words, leaving their mark? I imagine those young ladies will never forget the exact things that were charged to them in that speech. Well, our author here in Hebrews, as you know, is going through examples of faith for his Hebrew audience. He wants his Jewish audience. He wants them to understand. He wants them to grasp that it's not anything based on works, but solely based on faith that someone is rescued. And so he's showing just with example after example of this thread of different stories of seeing that the thing that tied all these different Old Testament characters together wasn't because they were great or their great works, but their lives were based on faith. And in this particular stretch of chapter 11, he focuses in on some of the acts that they had in their final or departing words at the end of their lives. Because as I already mentioned, so often what we believe comes out and is exposed in our final days. And we're often reminded that this isn't a short race. It's a race all the way until we cross the finish line. Well, my hope and my prayer as I consider this section of scripture and some of these characters is that my life all the way to the end would be marked with a, a future hope of what is to come that's based on faith, a solid hope that's unshakable. Let me pray before we explore, when we, before we look at some of the things that allow this type of faith in our life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance again, once again, to gather around your word and working through this powerful passage on faith. And as I've mentioned before, that we realize that faith isn't part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. And so we ask that you'd be moving and active and, and uh, present in this time, that you'd meet us, that you'd convict, you'd challenge, you'd encourage, you'd do all the things that you do when we gather around your word. We're excited to hear what you have for us in this section of scripture. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so just starting in verse 20, just to, really he doesn't give a, a ton of attention to each of these characters. So a lot of this section is just broken down one verse at a time. He starts, and each one it's always by faith. That's the reoccurring theme that he's saying. So he says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, doesn't give us a ton of details, obviously, there, but these are all stories that you can look back into. And if you remember last week, if you think about Isaac's father, Abraham, we realize that he died without experiencing all of the promises that God had given him. But he died clinging to a future hope, a better country, or as he described, a, a heavenly one, if you will. So now on to Abraham's son, Isaac. His son, Isaac, does really the same thing. And he had complete faith in God's future blessing, but didn't get to experience it all himself. So now he's passing it on to the next generation. I love how this is a generational hope that we're clinging to. So he passes it on to Jacob and Esau. You can read the story in Genesis chapter 27, some of the specific details. And let me tell you, it's a crazy account of how the blessing was passed on. You see, Isaac in his later years, when he's getting up there and he's pretty feeble, he's mostly blind, he decides it's time for him to pass on his blessing to the next generation. So he invites his oldest son, Esau, to bring him some fresh game that he prepared the way he liked. The, so basically a meat meal, something I can appreciate, invites him to, to bring this awesome dinner to him. So after that, he can then pass on his blessing to him. Well, 
It's important when blessing is passed on to the, to the oldest son primarily. It's important because that means that they're getting double the inheritance. It's usually attached with a father's blessing that they give some type of a prophetic word about their future. So this was a huge thing that you'll see throughout the Old Testament, how important it was to get the, the blessing of the father. Well, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, heard about this blessing that was about to be given, and she had her own personal favorite son, who happened to be the younger son, which is Jacob. So she tells Jacob, listen, this is your one opportunity to sneak in, dress up, why don't you dress up like uh, Esau, and try to sneak in and steal the blessing from your brother. So she goes to town, she puts together this awesome stew that she knows that he's going to like and is going to appreciate, takes that in. And in this account, it's interesting because Jacob is able to successfully pull this off where he then has the blessing of Isaac bestowed on him. And it's kind of interesting because it fulfilled previous prophecy that told that the older would serve the younger. And that's how it plays out. And you actually look at this account, and it's not talked about, obviously, here in verse 20 to those details. When you look at this account, it's not really a flattering story for anyone involved. In fact, the only one that you can maybe point to is the fact that Isaac was still placing his faith in things to come despite family drama. I had to pause and think about that in this study just about, about application. And I've talked about this before, but typically in my study and diving into God's word, there's usually something that the Lord imprints on me that he's like, man, make sure you share that. Kind of the piece of this that's my takeaway and per, as I per, try to personalize this is the charge for us as followers of Jesus Christ not to allow family drama to derail our faith. I'll say that again. Not to allow family drama to derail our faith. So many times I see how the enemy works behind the scenes to take broken marriages, to take broken relationships between siblings, between, to br take broken relationships between father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter, any of those relationships. Man, he loves to use those issues as a wedge between us and our God. I love that we have an example here of, uh, of Isaac who was clinging and fighting for his future hope and not allowing f current family drama to get in the way. My hope and my charge for you would be that you would do the same, that you would fight for keeping those separate, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus in the middle of whatever family drama you have been thrown. And for us especially, not to try to blame the free will choices of family members on Christ, but instead to cling to him through the midst of some of the hard, hardships that we experience with family stuff. So future hope, despite current family drama, that's what I'd say we see demonstrated with Isaac and his two sons. Continue in verse 21, he moves on to the next example as we look at future hope and exchange of current comforts. It says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, these sections and these verses, without a little bit of digging in, you're like, what in the world is it talking about? Well, this next event is recorded in Genesis chapter 48. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph and how it played out, if you remember, Joseph was in Egypt and he was elevated to second in command in all of the land. And after he discovered that his brother and his father were still alive, he invited and pulled them into Egypt to be provided for during an unbelievably difficult famine. So they're there in Egypt. When they're in Egypt, 
When Joseph finally hears word of his father who's getting older, starting to get ill and maybe not going to make it, he goes with his, Joseph goes with his two sons to visit him before he passes. Again, this theme of what happens just at the end of someone's life. And in that interaction, it's interesting because Jacob chooses to put his blessing on Joseph and Joseph's two sons. Now, this example is actually one that might be considered legitimate because Jacob's actual oldest son, Reuben, forfeited the right to be the to have the family blessing because he had slept with the concubine of his father. So kind of more family drama, plenty of that in the Old Testament. So he blesses Joseph's two sons as heirs of the promise. But Jacob does something interesting. When it's time for the blessing, and here's the unique thing, he reached his right hand over across his body in order to bless the younger son rather than the older son. The younger son is Ephraim, and the older son was Manasseh. So he chose to put the blessing on Ephraim rather than Manasseh. It's kind of an interesting account, but again, he goes into prophesying about one being greater, uh, blessed greater than the other. You see, this blessing, though, comes and is passed on to Joseph that the family line ultimately, as you know, all of this points to the coming rescue of Jesus Christ eventually. So this blessing, I was thinking about that would have been interesting in that day and age because what's happening there is your blessing, you think about this, this former shepherd, Jacob, is blessing his son who is currently basically the second most powerful person on the entire planet. He was there in the midst of, of this famine and would have been powerful, would have been wealthy. Imagine the, they, the, he and his sons didn't see a whole lot of need. And so when a father's passing on blessing of a land called Canaan, you're just like, well, I'm familiar with Canaan and that's a place that's been decimated by this famine. But you see, What Joseph understood is he saw the bigger picture. Jacob saw the bigger picture, that what God was doing was greater than what you could currently see. You see, it's often difficult to entice a wealthy person with future reward. You think about that. That's why Jesus is very specific in the New Testament. He says, man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, understanding that spiritual blessing is much more important than some of the, the, the possessions that we have on this earth, some of the comforts, if you will. Luke 9, 25 tells us, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Some translation says forfeits his soul. See, Jacob demonstrated his faith in a future reward, not just the present comforts of this world. Says something interesting at the end of that verse. It describes, it says, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, in order to understand what's going on there, you have to read about it in Genesis chapter 48. You see, at the end of his life, what Jacob asked of request that he made of Joseph, he said, you know what? Not to insult you. I'm appreciative of all that you've done bringing us to Egypt, but I would like to be buried with my ancestors outside of Egypt. So that could have been seen as a a slap in the face for Joseph that had done so much to care for his father and his brothers, even after he had been betrayed. But instead, Joseph chooses to honor that request. And so we're told there in Genesis 48 that in response, Jacob worshiped the Lord, bowing his head over his staff. Kind of a cool description there if you think about what a staff is used for, kind of the same idea as a a cane for somebody elderly. So in other words, his body was weak, 
but his faith was still strong. The second way that that staff was symbolic and important was a staff was often something that would have been used by what? A shepherd, a nomad, somebody that never had a, a home or a place. And so it's somebody that's been living in the lap of luxury and comfort there in Egypt, but he's still carrying his staff because he hasn't gotten too comfortable where he's at. See more of that in the second, the second next verse describing Joseph. Pick up in verse 22, more pictures of a future hope despite uh, not being able to see what's going to happen. It says, but by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, you can re read about this because, again, that single verse is like, what is that talking about? You can read about it in Genesis chapter 50. I'll just read these two verses. It says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So what's happening here? Basically, Joseph, as he's dying, he's telling his brothers, hey, there's a day that's, gonna be, that's coming that you're going to be taken out of this land and brought to the promised land. But make sure when that day's coming. I love that he's as confident of that day as if it had already happened. It's like when that day comes, make sure you bring with me or bring with you my bones. You know, like kind of a, a weird request. We actually later see that that's exactly what Moses ends up doing as they exit uh, uh, Egypt eventually. They do bring his bones with them. It's a kind of a cool demonstration. And it shouldn't shock us for somebody that demonstrated such faith through his whole life that he's demonstrating faith even in his death. Even in his death, he still has a vision for what's unseen. You see, he hadn't gotten too attached to his earthly kingdom. He hadn't gotten too attached to the things that he had surrounded himself with. He, I'm sure, had plenty of things that you could have said, man, you've already arrived. You've already made it to the promised land. I think it's an important reminder for us to actually have eyes to see the things of this world for what they actually are rather than what the world suggests that they are. My son Chase, when he was younger, we uh, decided when we first moved to California, you know, is that season where kids are first getting bikes. And man, we're like, hey, hey, Chase, for his birthday, we ended up picking him out a bike and let him be a part of the process. And I remember he was just a little guy. We uh, decided, you know, we only take Chase to get the very best. So we took him straight to Walmart. You know, that's the, the best bike we could possibly get. And it was kind of fun because the prices there are so affordable. I was able to say, all right, Chase, you go ahead and pick out whichever bike you see that's your size. Whichever one you want, you get to pick. And he came out, he picked out this all black bike with the pegs on the wheels. And it was actually a pretty cool bike for being from Walmart. But I remember later on, I remember listening to him talking to some of his, of his friends and he's explaining, he's like, my dad let me pick out the very best bike at Walmart. I was just kind of chuckling to myself because I, I realized somebody that rides bikes, there are definitely some tiers of bikes that are a few notches above Walmart bikes. And I got to think that for us, with our God listening in, that some of the things that we get attached to for him must sound like Walmart bikes. As we talk about our different exploits financially, the different things that we, this house we have or this car we have must sound a lot like to Almighty God, like we're bragging about a Walmart, a Walmart bike. You see, with your eyes on the unseen, choosing to say, I'm going to put my hope in what's coming, not on the things that I see that I can touch and feel and taste. I'm clinging to a better day that is coming. That was what Joseph was known for, clinging to the unseen. He's a powerful picture of living by faith and not by sight. 
Oh, for God to give us eyes to see past some of the things that this world offers that might seem so enticing, but really are Walmart bikes. All right, we'll continue this last section, this last example of Moses, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I love that. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Again, that idea. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So our author is fast forwarding a bit to what's happening in the land of Egypt. You see, as Pharaoh's changed in the leadership change, you see the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, I should say, lost favor with the governing body, if you will. You notice that there's seasons where there's favor and there's seasons that there's not. Well, with the change of favor, there's actually quite a, a bit of hostility towards Joseph. Imagine that towards his uh, descendants. So much so that they're concerned about them kind of growing too big of a population. So the king has an edict. That's the edict that it's referring to, that all of the firstborn sons would be killed to help population control. So imagine that day and that age, what that would have been like, finding out news, especially for the pregnant mother, that your son would be murdered upon birth. For these parents, the parents of Moses, they think creatively, well, what can we do to hide him? So if you know the story, they hide him in a basket, him being Moses, hide him in a basket and hide him in the Nile. This took, I imagine, quite a bit of faith knowing that if they got caught with this, their lives would be on the line. Pretty cool because we don't know a ton about Moses' parents or a ton of details about them other than this act of faith. And you got to realize how often God uses behind the scenes parents and grandparents, ones that are there kind of paving the way in faith, that are stepping out, that are taking risks, that are quietly faithful to raise up the next generation of impactful leaders. Think about that even in our church. You wonder who even in this congregation, their, their child might be that next leader that God wants to do amazing things through. So this was an act of faith, obviously. And then it describes, uh, thankfully, that, uh, well, it doesn't describe here, but in the story of Moses, we learn that Pharaoh's daughter, while bathing in the Nile, ends up finding Moses in this basket, having compassion on, on him, and choosing to raise him in their household, kind of as her own son, if you will. But you see, as Moses gets older, he comes to a bit of a crossroad. We see it there described. This crossroad well, is he going to enjoy, it's a reoccurring theme. Is he going to lean in and just enjoy the comforts of his life, the comforts of, of wealth, of being in a prestigious family? Or is he going to oppose that and cling to his brother, his Hebrew brothers that are being mistreated? Well, we're told that by faith, he chooses the latter. He chooses in one instance to protect one of his uh, Hebrew brothers that's being beaten and ends up taking the life of an Egyptian. And that single choice, that single choice really 
made him no longer welcomed in Pharaoh's family. We see there in the text, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The single act disassociated him and it actually put his life on the line. You think about this, I think it says, he considered the reproach of Christ great wealth. First word that I caught there is considered. Because a lot of this, a lot of times, takes some pausing and thinking about things. Well, are the things of this earth going to satisfy? Or would I rather put my hope in something that's going to last? Sometimes it concerns me that there's not enough considering that happens in our day. There's not enough pausing that people do to reflect on some of these big issue questions. Remember at the extravaganza, our Easter event, just a, a few weeks back, or I guess about a month back, we had this opportunity to share with the people there. And I, I shared the story of what I labeled and called conversation X. When I, was in con- when I was in college, I had this interaction with one of my best friends at the time. His name is Sean Marr. And we had a chance to talk about one of those conversations that moved to like serious spiritually deep things, like really quick, started one of those conversations. And by the end of it, like two or three hours in, we had solved it all. We had realized, man, why would we chase after this when it's not eternal? Why would I give my life to this? And really for me, it was actually one of those shaping conversations that really puts me actually here standing in front of you at this moment. You see, a lot of times there's these crossroads where we have to consider, consider, And wrestle through, what am I going to prioritize in my life? Well, in this case, he made the choice, rather than living in the lap of luxury with temporary riches, he'd rather be despised like Jesus was. He'd rather take the ridicule. And I find it interesting that the author associates being hated by the world as a connection with Jesus Christ himself but he was clinging to a future reward. When I say future reward, I'm not talking about something that he would even experience in his lifetime. You see, if you look at the life of Moses, there is no point that you're like, all right, now he's landed. His future reward was having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years with a a bunch of complaining negative people and trying to direct them and bring, keep them on task. And he never actually was able because of disobedience to step foot in the promised land. So his future reward was future on the other side of this life. So often we cling to promises that just aren't found in scripture. There's no promise of our comfort being on this side of eternity. But we see how he's able to sustain that. He says, seeing him who is invisible. Again, with the repeated word, in faith, in faith. So he was pushed to make, take a lot of risks. You see the first one that I mentioned, the risk of, of stepping out and having to uh, leave Egypt out of discomfort. That was the first one. He was uh, wandering his 40 years of, uh, of kind of out there and, and pulled away after 40 years being in the, the uh, upbringing of, of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chooses to step away from that. Then the, the next one that's mentioned here in the text, the next exercise of risk, the next one you see was the final, the final plague that God imposed on Egypt where they had to sprinkle blood on their doorposts in order to see their firstborn saved, to see him rescued. It's interesting because it's always reading some of these passages, you don't realize what a big deal that would have been. Can you imagine the present day if I tried to convince you as the audience, all right, There's this plague coming and your firstborn is going to die if you don't put blood on your doorpost. I wonder what level of faith that would take for you to actually kill an animal and place blood on your doorpost this evening. It's interesting because always looking back in these accounts of scripture, they seem like, oh yeah, that would have been normal. That's That's not that big of a deal. But all of these things 
were exercises that God was calling them to that were extreme risks. That, were, that would have been an easy way for the, for the Pharaoh and for the Egyptians to say, hey, target these guys because they're doing some kind of a weird thing there. And so, I mean, all of these things were risk. He also mentions them going out into the Red Sea. You remember that account in the story of Moses where God chooses to rescue them from Pharaoh and his army by splitting the water of the Red Sea. I always think about who would be the first one that would have stepped out in between those walls of water on both sides. This was not a little creek that they were passing. All of these things demonstrate how faith works in our life. This is the way faith works and what I've seen personally and most likely if you've been following Jesus for a while, you've seen as well. God calls us to something, to step out in faith. Usually that stepping out in faith has some degree of risk attached to it. We do it. We step out in faith. We see firsthand that God is faithful that he cares for us, that he walks through it with us, that he is a provider, that he's the, the, the source of strength, that all of the things that he does in the midst of us stepping out. And after that act of stepping out, we walk away with a little bit stronger faith, a little bit deeper roots. And then life goes on and then he calls you to the next thing that you have to step out in faith, trust him, then you go and do it, or you don't do it, hopefully you do. You step out in faith and God proves to be faithful. And that's what this whole life is about, is deepening our faith, growing in our trust level of a faithful, good God. You see, these examples that they use from scripture, these old characters, it's not honing in or trying to point out the different errors and different mistakes, the, the shortcomings that they had, because every single one of them for sure did. But instead, he's honing in on the thread that was consistent between each of them. It was about faith, trusting God. When God said to move, responding acted. When he made a promise, trusting that. When he said to, to listen, putting our, our ear up to hear. You see, all of these things are part of walking with faith. And my hope is that that's something we're moving towards. We're taking steps, even in our faith, even if we've been walking with the Lord for a really long time. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this example, exam, for these examples of faith, that thread that's consistent, that led them to a walk with you all the way to their final words, their final acts, their final requests, whether it was to have their b bones taken somewhere, to be buried in a different land, whether it was the blessing that was given at the final hours of their life, all of these things demonstrate that it was a genuine, sincere faith that had taken root in their life. My hope and prayer for our church community is that we would be people of faith as well. Not ones that are swayed by the storms that come, not ones that are thrown off because of family drama or being drawn to the comforts of this world, but we would be strong, that we'd persevere, that we'd cling tightly to you as the giver of promises, the sustainer, the good God that you are. We thank you again for this opportunity to be in your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our church. Well, thank you for staying the course with us in Hebrews. Hopefully each week there's some nugget, something that God has for you specifically from his word that encourages you, that it challenges you. Uh, as always, any way that we can serve you, always feel free to reach out to the church, especially texting us at 97,000. God bless you. Have a great day.